video. It's the only way to get what you want to watch when Hello. you want to watch. Hello, my name's Justin McClure, and I'm here today with... Mark Hansen. And you're listening to the Bay Street Video Podcast. We go through all of this week's new Blu-rays and DVDs. And this was a big week. Yeah, all those Kino titles that have been building up for the last three years have <laughs> finally know. arrived. Yeah, are you ready to rapid fire some Kino titles here that we don't know anything about? Ooh, yeah, we got some box sets. I don't want to be like, uh, I think the director of the Pink Panther made that one. All right, moving uh, yeah. on. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but first, we have to go through our cult stuff. And we yeah. got... Uh, a big return from a company who hasn't released a Blu-ray since we started this podcast. Yeah, where have, have we ever talked about one from Vestron Collectors series before? No, I don't believe we have. For people that don't know this company, it's actually um, an arm of Lionsgate. And Lionsgate is infamous for not wanting to release their stuff on Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. Lionsgate is a terrible company from all from what I've heard. I don't know this personally, but I've heard a lot of accounts that Lionsgate is just a terrible company. I thought that they had been um, absorbed by another like parent company. I guess not. I guess no. I think they run independently as far as I know. And they handle the distribution for a lot of different companies, like from everything from like, yeah, this Vestron label to like new stuff like A24. They handle their distribution. So they've got a lot of stuff under their banner. And then they handle a lot of like VOD action movies, like the Bruce Willis stuff we well, talk about. Well, somebody convinced them a couple of years ago to do their own line of horror films because that's what sells. That's what collectors want. And originally... Oh boy, they released things that retailed from $50 to $60. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we we have some Blu-rays of like Ken Russell's Gothic, Maximum Overdrive that sell for a cool $58.95 plus tax. And they're not out of print. You can order them if you want. No, you can get them. Yeah, but they cost that much to make any kind of profit on. Yeah, and like kudos to collectors because we sold quite a few of these. Like we still keep these in stock, but just like the price gouge on these. Now they are nice additions. You get a lot of stuff. Oh on yeah, them. I gotta say I own almost all of them, and they are packed. They do it with Michael Felcher, who d- uh, Red Shirt Pictures, who's one of the main special features guys. So there's usually two commentary tracks: one with a crew member or cast, one with like the composer. There's interviews with everybody they could get a handle on it's usually a new transfer it's just like ultimate special editions yeah it's great stuff honestly they do an incredible job so i wasn't surprised when it looked like they just disappeared because of their insane price point but they're back with a ridiculously low price point. I know. Now, so these are still imports from the U.S. Um, I mean, for U.S. listeners, this means nothing for you. But for Canadian listeners, there's still no Canadian distribution for these. But compared to the price, these are like less than half of the price that the old releases were. We're selling them at the store for a cool $25 each. And they came uh, guns a-blazing with the release of Shivers, the David Cronenberg film, a film that infamously has never been released on DVD in decades. Yeah, we have an old rental from like the early days of DVD that has been out of print for years. Like there's a lot of bootleg DVDs going around. I believe even Lynn Lowry sells bootleg DVDs of Shivers off of her own Twitter page, <laughs> if you look her up. I think it's because it Lionsgate owns it, right? And they just had no interest in putting it out. And that's why it just never had a home video release until now. And I think they may have ported a lot of the special features that were on the Arrow UK Blu-ray, I believe. which came out a few years ago. Yeah, I believe like, you're uh, right Like commentary was David Cronenberg. 
Yeah, it's a pretty loaded edition. And I mean, for a filmmaker who's as big on like the world stage, really, at this point as David Cronenberg for his first film. Well, maybe not his first, his first major film to never be. First feature films? Because fe- there's well, like did... Crimes of the Future yeah, and Stereo which are and stuff like that. Features. I mean, they're over an hour if you consider that a feature. So are they over they are, an hour? They are, actually. They just hmm. barely clear an hour. They're like between 60 and 70 minutes. And are very good, so I would highly recommend those. But I mean, so every horror fan needs to buy this edition if you're absolutely. self-respecting in any way. Oh, yeah. And I love Shivers. I have always loved this film. It's actually one of my favorite of his movies uh, because I think it's a really – it looks at first glance like it might be kind of an amateurish sort of like cheap movie. Like the movie he made before he got famous with like The Brood and Scanners and Videodrome. But it's like really solidly put together and pretty sl- like slicker than you would think it might be from the initial look of it. Um, for those of you who don't know who it is, it all takes place in a, ta- in a an apartment tower in Montreal, I believe it is, or somewhere outside Montreal. And these creatures, these like slug-like creatures get loose who are who turn people into sex-crazy maniacs, which is obviously a running theme of a lot of David Cronenberg's work. There's a lot of body horror, a lot of gross-out effects, and it's just like a really great, thrilling, gory, cool movie. I just really love it. I'm excited to revisit it because I don't think I've seen it since I watched a battered 35mm print at U of T. That was one they would drag out of the archives all the time. It's David Cronenberg Shivers! Everybody loves David Cronenberg! Interesting. Yeah, I took a Cronenberg class in at York University when I was there. They actually had a David Cronenberg class, and I'd already seen Shivers on, like, a crappy DVD or something. But they had some sort of... They had a better... I don't know if they were showing it off a of film print or... I doubt it was a film Print. They did not show a print. There's no way. I took your film classes. That's what, yeah, no, I don't think they did, but uh, but it it definitely like it killed in uh, that screening. The class went wild for it. So Vestron is also releasing another thing at the same time, two in one day. Yeah, and they're putting out Little Monsters. Yeah, kind and, of uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum a little. The bit. 1989 Howie Mandel film. And what? Uh, it's this week's blind buy. Blind buy. Wow, we're just getting to this blind buy right off the top. I like it. So I like it. This is a bit of a cheat because I mentioned it to Mark, and he's like, "Wait, you haven't seen this?" And I said, "I saw it when I was a kid. I remember one or two scenes and nothing else about it." Right. And that's why I'm like, "Let's watch it. And let, let's talk about it because this scared the crap out of me when I was a kid." Yeah. And no, I like it, that. It's become kind of a running joke since then. It's like, oh, this dumb family film. But rewatching it for this episode, oh, yeah, it's scary. If I was a kid and I saw this, like, it would have scared the shit out of me. I mean, I guess they're two body horror movies. That's the thing. I labeled it as, like, you know, a family movie when we were bringing it in. But, like, watching it for the first time, because, yeah, I had never seen this for some reason. Always was aware of it. Always wanted to watch it but just never did and yeah it's a little a little mature for for kids but i guess that's what a lot of 80s kids movies were like too mm-hmm. so the premise is that fred savage just moved to a new town can't make any friends and discovers that there's a monster under his bed which is michael keaton uh, no my, i was gonna say michael keaton as beetlejuice <laughs> imagine yeah, yeah. no it's howie mandel uh as the uh, an annoying monster like the annoying friends you're <laughs> Uh, parents don't want you yeah. to hang out with and they go to monster world and torture his classmates that's basically the premise except we learn that everybody who goes to monster world and spends too much time there turns into a monster themselves which implies that everybody in this underwa- underground pit 
is just children who have abandoned their parents and are painfully mutating into different creatures. Yeah, I found that really disturbing, as well as a lot of the effects with those little monsters with Howie Mandel. A lot of, I think the guy, didn't the guy who make it, wasn't he an effects guy? Or... He was a title designer, which oh, is why the designer, film is like right. very composed in the way that it presents scenes. Right, and this was kind of the only film he directed, I believe? Or... He did one episode of Tales from the Crypt in a documentary, and he passed away in 2018 because this was a, a a legitimate Vestron title one they actually produced but it was near the end of their reign where they were going bankrupt so I think it opened in like a handful of theaters before becoming a cult hit on home video because you'd always see it in like the family section out to scar whatever kid would pick it up <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm going to be honest here this movie didn't really do that much for me, if I have to if I have to be completely honest. You know, we were talking a couple weeks ago about like the Goonies and how that didn't really work for us. And I felt the same a little with this. I feel like if I had seen this as a kid, I might have loved this and it would have scared the crap out of me. Now, I didn't find it quite as entertaining as I wanted to. Maybe I just didn't like Howie Mandel that much. I found Howie Mandel. Oh, he's so annoying in this he's movie. He's so annoying. He reminded me of Drop Dead Fred a little bit, but like even yeah. more annoying. Well, when the movie started and Howie Mandel came on screen, I was like, oh man, am I going to have to spend <laughs> the whole film with this guy? Yeah. But he's so pathetic and sad and bullied throughout the movie too. Yeah. So he's like not even a confident character. It kind of made me feel bad for him, especially considering that he seems like the oldest kid that lives in this monster world. So like how long has he been trapped here? I think he says he's been doing it for like 600 years or something like that at yeah, one point i believe you're right and he's like i don't have any friends and as it just goes on it gets worse and worse of like how horrifying things are yeah um and i just like how miserable the kid's life is his parents get divorced in the movie so like you have to experience that like as a viewer as it's happened my parents it was the exact same thing that happened to me the same talk the same like don't blame yourself my brother my younger brother was there as well and he didn't really understand and the same thing of like we'll be better like we won't make you angry anymore and stuff like that so real and as a screenplay i think the beats are really good that all the friends get involved at the end they all do something as well yeah the final monster they meet is a guy who wears human skin on his face that he rips yeah. off at one point <laughs> creepy right it's almost yeah. like hellraiser-esque or something mm -hmm. i mean the whole thing looks like a nightbreed knockoff if nightbreed does, had been yeah. like super popular and then it led to that <laughs> yeah nightbreed for kids right <laughs> yeah there's like a monster at the end who just catches fire like yeah. he just burned alive and he's like screaming as it happens <laughs> and that's the stuff i did like the most like the effects the yeah the real like horror stuff and i and i do agree with you i think the plot line about the divorce and the parents like fighting a lot at the beginning and you constantly like hearing them fighting and you kind of like you do witness the tension between the parents a lot in the background. They're talking they about how divorce. one of them won't have sex with the other. He's I like, know, you always right? have I did. I, yeah, <laughs> I like that the most. That was like some really affecting stuff there. It was like, you know, more family films need to get into stuff like this. And because... they swear all the time, the kids. Oh, and yeah. not like Goonie swear. Like they don't drop like slurs or anything like that. It's more like no. damn and shit and like yeah. bullshit where as a kid you're like oh, I can't believe they said that I mean I don't know if kids these days they just see all that stuff on the internet so yeah, it doesn't really matter yeah what do kids matter. say these days <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. they could say whatever they want and I even found moving like after his parents tell them that they broke up he like talks to Howie Mandel about it and it's about like friends talking about difficult stuff and yeah. while I was watching it, I'm like, the whole scene from Fred Savage coming in, them going under the bed plays out in one long take that's like six minutes long yeah. without any cuts <laughs> 
No, there's a lot of like filmmaking style here and filmmaking ambition. I I will say. I think I just didn't. I don't know. It just uh, it started to lose my interest at a certain point, and I you just hate like kids. Wasn't. you hate I just coming hate of age stories you know, and family maybe, stuff. Yeah, that's the thing. Coming of it, Howie Mandel was annoying. Fred Savage, she was okay. Yeah, I could take him or leave him. I mean, uh, it's mostly you want to get into it because it's like a big monster world, tons of practical effects. If you like that kind of stuff. I mean, if you like Beetlejuice, it's like a Beetlejuice ripoff. That's what they're trying to do. It is. It's very much a Beetlejuice ripoff. Do you know that originally this was set up at another company? I think it was Fox. And the director they had ready to go to shoot it was Brad Bird. Interesting. But then when Vestron took it on, they said, oh, well, Brad Bird's never directed anything. I think at that point he had probably only worked on The Simpsons and then the... uh, No, not even The Simpsons. Not even, He had probably just done the family dog uh, shorts for amazing stories. So they're like, no, let's get this other guy who unfortunately didn't direct anything again. So as a blind buy, I would definitely recommend it. Like, if you look at the cover, you know it's a Howie Mandel movie. Uh, Yeah. It delivers more than you would expect based on that premise. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean... I really don't like Howie Mandel, but, you know, he's it's probably the best thing. One of the best things he's ever been in. And, yeah, if you like this movie, like Gremlins, Gremlins, of course, I always forget that he did Gremlins. Yeah, I read it in the trivia, too. I was like, oh, yeah, it was (laughs) immediately forgot after. But, yeah, if you like this movie, this is a great release to pick up because that's the whole Vestron label has put a ton of work into this. And, yeah, it looks better than ever. I watched the new Blu-ray. It looks super crisp. And on just a side note, I love that Buzz from Home Alone was in this, too, also playing a bully. Oh, so yeah. That, that was one small thing that really made me smile. I, I looked at him. I was like, who is that? Woof. I <laughs> know. It's Woof. He plays another, like, he's just like Buzz Light, well, I guess. You know, bit. the joke in this is that, like, Fred Savage uh, it, on, was it The Wonder Years? He was, his narration was done by Daniel Stern, who plays his dad in this. And Fred Savage's real brother is his little brother in this movie as well. Ben Savage, yeah, of, of uh, Boy Meets World. That's right. And yeah. the guy who plays the bully monster is the guy from The Burbs. That's like Tom Hanks' best friend right. in it. Right, Rick uh, DeCunier. De- yeah, yeah, he was like yeah, a stand-up yeah. comic. Yeah, he's great in The Burbs, too. I've always loved him in that. So moving on, we have a release from, or a couple of releases from Scorpion, Defcon 4. Now, this one has a special place in my heart because it's from Canadian director Paul Donovan, who did Siege, which has not come out on Blu-ray yet, even though somebody told me it was supposed to two years ago. So I don't know what's up with that. When's when's that happening? Yeah, I don't know what's up with that. (laughs) And uh, this movie, everyone has seen the cover of it, which is like the skeleton thing, which is actually ripped off from another artist, like drawn over from something else. (laughs) Uh, And this is... Better than people say it is, is what I'll say. Okay. Yeah, I've always wanted to see this. I didn't get around to this before before recording here. But... Yeah, like, the, the story is that, like, a bunch of uh, astronauts are in space when, like, the apocalypse happens on Earth, and then they come back down and find, like, a Mad Max-like wasteland that's shot somewhere in Canada. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, that's great. I wish it was more uh, special features. I think Paul Donovan, the director, is kind of a recluse right now. Uh, so, okay. uh, they get... Weirdly, Christopher Young, the composer who's most famous for Hellraiser, seems to just be around all the time. So he does an interview about his music for the film. <laughs> nice. I would say this might be one of the bigger titles Scorpions put out recently. I mean, like bigger is, is a it? I relative mean, I think term. I just sold but... a lot of them. Yeah, we've been selling this like crazy, and they have a slip cover on this one. Like they seem to go all out on this release. I think it's just because people recognize the cover art, and that's what they're reacting to. 
That's well, true. I mean, Scorpion's also putting out Toy Soldiers. No, it's not the one you're thinking of. No. <laughs> it's the one from not. 1984 that stars Jason Miller. Did you ever see this one? I never did. It also stars Tim Robbins, apparently. As Ooh, a, yeah. very young In Tim Robbins, I'm sure. Role. Yeah, he looks like a huge dork on the back of it. So he seems like he plays like the dorky soldier guy he, or whatever. He, he always looks like a dork, doesn't he? He does, he does, yeah. No, I have nothing else to say about this, though. I didn't even know this was a movie until we brought it in. Because I, like you, thought it was the other Toy Soldiers. Yeah. <laughs> we also have Cowboy Bebop, the complete series. This is anime, very popular. I'm sure Mark has not seen it, and I have not seen it either. But, you know, they're making a, they are making a live action version of this, right? With John Cho. Are they? Isn't, isn't uh, the point? star still in traction after like an accident that he uh, experienced on set? Good question. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I remember they were in production and then he hurt himself really bad. Uh, so okay. maybe, you know, Corona so gave him time to recover. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, this is insanely popular. It has been out on Blu-ray before. So this is just a steelbook version, which they tend to do for a lot of anime stuff. Uh, but I mean, if you don't have it already, looks nice. SRS Sub Rosa Entertainment is releasing another Polonia Brothers film. <laughs> I know. It's like every couple of weeks, right? This one's Bad Magic from 1998, which I would say as a Polonia Brother novice, it's the end of the period that you can associate with their masterpiece, Splatter Farm. Beyond that, they become machines and they just start cranking them out. And it doesn't have that kind of demented madness to the movies anymore. Okay. And even this one is pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. The lead guy supposedly was like drunk every day when he showed up. <laughs> and you can tell watching the movie. <laughs> Great. I always like that. I like when you can tell people are actually drunk. In their I mean, twelve ninety five. It's, you know, it's an easy buy. Speaking of people just being drunk, yeah. when are we getting the special edition of Super Mario Brothers? I mean, uh, the UK got <laughs> one. I mean, that's a Disney title, right? So I feel like if Kino, you know, I thought for a while Kino was going to put that out as a studio classic because they were snapping up all that Hollywood picture stuff. It never happened. So now I'm questioning whether it's ever going to happen here. So we also have more Ultraman. Wait, is this one release or three releases in one? So it's it's a yeah, it's a three pack thing. So we I got guess? Ultraman Ginga, Ultraman Ginga S and Ultra Fight Victory. You Ultra fans? Yeah, all in one slim pack. You want it? Come and get it. Sure, yeah. <laughs> we also have a Stephen King 5 movie collection which is Pet Cemetery, The Stand, Silver Bullet and The Dead Zone. Are these just the movies? Do you know? Yeah, so the only reason I kind of included this, this would be kind of a nothing set to include because you know, the Pet Cemeteries, The Stand have been out already. They did a nice Blu-ray of The Stand recently and Silver Bullet, of course, was put out by Shout Factory recently. Oh, yeah, I have so, that one. It's good special yeah, edition. Yeah, so this is not that. It's just a standard. But this is the first time in North America that the Dead Zone has been on Blu-ray in any form. Is it just the movie or does it have the special it's edition just, that we're on? No, oh, I man, think it's they can't even pour the it over. There was like yeah. a big special edition that it's was done. It's crazy. Like, it makes me think that either like a Shout Factory or another company is going to be putting out a special edition of this because it's the Dead Zone, right? Like, it's got to come out at some Guaranteed. point. Guaranteed. But for some reason, Paramount's just kind of slipped this into their Stephen King 5 pack with like like the remake of Pet Cemetery, you know? Like, who cares the about that? The remake of Pet <laughs> Cemetery. Oh, well, it's both, both versions. It's got both versions of Pet Cemetery. So, Didn't I mean, even see it. It was made yeah, by directors I'm not big fans yeah, of. Yeah, I didn't like Starry Eyes at mm, Me neither. All. <laughs> Moving on, stuff that I would have thought was a special edition, Vampire <laughs> in Brooklyn just being dumped for just like dumped. <laughs> $12 on Blu-ray. Oh yeah, Paramount just felt like I guess they just needed to get it out there. You know, I've never actually seen Vampire in Brooklyn. This was one that always haunted the video store shelves as a kid for me. And I just never took it out for some reason. I watched it last year because I think we did an episode on Wes Craven. And it's 
fine. Its big problem is that it's like all over the place tone wise. Like it's really wacky comedies. Eddie Murphy plays multiple characters. <laughs> As he does. And then you have more of a serious like vampire thing going on. Yeah. Yeah. I guess this was the last movie he made before Scream kind of like revived his career again, right? It was those dark, dark early 90s That sounds periods. about right. Uh, but so if people really want it in high definition, here it is. I mean, it's cheap. It's, yeah, twelve ninety five. Yeah, you're not going to get extras or anything, but, you know. Doesn't Paramount know that, like, the real money lies in doing special editions for Vampire in Brooklyn? Like, that's what fans want. I thought, like, they could license this as a show factory title, and we would sell tons more than we sell just as, like, a twelve ninety five bare bones. Uh, I mean, you know somebody, like, died making this movie, right? Like, a stunt person died? Oh, yeah, did doing, they? like, a simple stunt. I did not And this is, that. there's a really good oral history you can find online where, like, Eddie Murphy wouldn't leave his trailer and, like, just crazy stuff <laughs> like that. I did hear about that, like, about the temperamental Eddie Murphy. Uh... So, moving on to classic stuff, we got uh, Claire Denis' Beau Travail uh, is coming out on Criterion. Great movie. Great movie, yeah. I love this one, and it's been out of print for years. Never been on Blu-ray. It looks gorgeous, too, so I'm glad that finally... I mean, it's kind of one that we knew Criterion would pick up sooner or later, so... Uh, Grasshopper... Unless I'm mistaken, this is the 30-minute short film Influenza, directed by Bong Joon-ho. You are correct, On Blu-ray? So 30 minutes? It's not even on Blu-ray. This is just a DVD-only release. Um, and this is a strange one. I'm not sure. So Grasshopper has had the rights to this short for a while. They've had it available on VOD services through their website. Um, so the genesis of this, so this was made by Bong Joon-ho in between Memories of Murder and The Host, I guess it was. And it was done as part of a three-part triptych film that a Korean film festival uh, commissioned for him and two other Korean, uh, lesser-known Korean directors. I'm blanking on who they are. One of them's a cult guy, though, but I'm just, I can't remember. And so they did this three-part experimental omnibus thing. And for, I guess it just never kind of came out, but now Grasshopper's just putting out this film. So what it is, it's a 28-minute short, and it literally just is comprised of surveillance cam footage. Ugh, so no! He, I know, I know. So he, so I did watch this the other day, just to be like, what is this thing? And it's, it's experimental, to say the least. There's going to be a lot of people who pick this up thinking like, oh, great, a new Bong Joon-ho movie I haven't heard of. And they're going to watch like 28 minutes of surveillance cam footage, which kind of tells a story but only in like the most like vague experimental kind of way like no one will be satisfied no, by this but, who's thinking they're picking up yeah like something from the award-winning director and the thing is like this is like a 30 dollars dvd because we have to import it's grasshopper right their stuff's expensive and it's not even like loaded with features like you just get the movie and you get two brief press conference interviews from the time that this was made in like 2004 which are like 10 minutes long each. And that's it. Like that's the entire Boo. package. Oh, shame on you, Grasshopper. Yeah. Like this is, this is really only for like serious Bong Joon-ho completists. Uh, but I don't understand why. Yeah. Like you'd think this would be like a special feature on something else. Like another one of it. Like this would be a perfect special feature for the upcoming Parasite Criterion. I was going to say, does the Criterion try to like license it? Grasshopper is like, it's mine. You would think, well, it'd be hilarious if when they finally, you know, announced Memories of Murder or something, they somehow managed to like put it on there. <laughs> 
but yeah, this is this is a it's definitely a curiosity, and I would say if you're a huge fan of him, yeah, maybe check it out. But uh, anybody else, just you know, be wary. So moving on, we got Agatha Christie uh, Poirot films coming out the butt. Oh yeah, Kino throwing them at us this week. We got Death on the Nile, Evil Under the Sun, and The Mirror Cracked. Have you seen any of these? Never seen any of these, but these are insanely popular with an older crowd, that's for sure. The uh, DVDs of these rent and sell like crazy for as long as I've been here. So these have been, and they've been selling like crazy too. We got them a few weeks late because our Kino shipment was held up and we had like people coming in every day. Where are those Agatha Christie mysteries? Where's Death on the Nile? Where's Evil <laughs> Under the Sun? Um, I mean, I saw Death on the Nile a little while ago. It's fine. It's directed by James Bond directors. They're so glacially paced. I think one of these is done by Ken Russell or somebody like that, right? No? Am I mistaken? No, I don't think one of these is. I think he might have done another one, but these three are all done by you're right, like James Bond directors or like other kind of stodgy British TV directors. And they feel like it when you watch them. They are. These are like Sunday movies. That like like comfort food that like people like to experience when nothing else (laughs) is playing and now it's just something they love. Kino's also putting out The Balcony, a 1963 film that stars Shelley Winters as a madam of a house who helps people um, play out their erotic fantasies. But then when her old friend, the chief of police, played by Peter Falk, asks her to impersonate the missing queen. I know. Wait, what? In order to <laughs> reassure the people and halt the revolution, she offers instead three of her customers to play the general bishop... The Chief Justice and, oh my god. Okay, so I guess this is like a silly comedy. Yeah, this has definitely got a cult reputation. Like, we've had a DVD that's been out of print for years for rental, and it's always gotten a lot of play. Um, yeah, I'm not sure much. Uh, I don't really know much about it, but it's it's consi- it's from director Joseph Strick, who did uh, Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. He did Tropic of Cancer, stuff like that. But this was kind of like his, I don't know, I, I want to say biggest, but his most love movie but i don't know if it's it seems like a campy like a camp classic Mm. basically so we also have we have a whole bunch of british stuff coming from kino we also have britannia hospital Uh, english institution visit by the queen mother (laughs) yeah the big thing with this is it's lindsey anderson who did if and uh oh lucky man like the malcolm mcdowell people love lindsey anderson i gotta say i think i've only seen if is the only one that i've seen of his yeah, I actually haven't seen any of those. I People say that, oh, that. Lucky Man is wild, but I always look at him like, oh, three hours. I know. <laughs> That's what always puts me off of him. Uh, and clockwise, an uncompromising British school headmaster finds himself beset by one thing going wrong one after the other. This is a John Cleese movie, and I believe this has comes after the period that Cleese decided not to be funny anymore. <laughs> yeah, but people really like this film. This has got like, yeah, this has always been a real popular rental for us. I don't, I'm not sure why. I have not seen this either, but uh, definitely got a following. Other than maybe some Terry Gilliam movies, Monty Python. And uh, Fish Called Wanda. Can you name any other funny John Cleese movie that's not Rat Race? <sighs> yeah, I was going to say Rat Race. I know but, you uh, were. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a great question. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Fierce Creatures. Was that funny? <laughs> that was no. That's the uh, yeah. sequel to A the Fish Called Wanda. Sequel, yeah. yeah, I saw it when I was a kid and I don't remember anything about it, but... Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, I liked him as Q in Bond. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it, isn't it? <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> Kino is also mining the old John Ford titles, putting out the 1918 Hellbent. Yeah, the old Jack Ford titles, I guess, right? 
<laughs> yeah, that. Jack Ford. Wait, his brother directed films as well. I always thought he was Jack Ford. No, I guess he's not. Well, this this one and the previous one, which we talked about straight shooting, are credited to Jack Ford, who is apparently just what John Ford went by back then. But that's another Harry Carey classic. Okay, here. and now we got a whole bunch of box sets. I'm just going to name the box sets because <laughs> unless you have something to yeah. say about the movies, I know I don't. <laughs> Because we got no. a Cary Grant collection, a Tony Curtis collection, and a Reginald Denny collection. Which is the one that's flying off the shelf the most? I'm going to say Reginald uh, Denny. No, the Cary Grant one. <laughs> so Reginald Denny it was a silent film star in Britain who I'd never heard of personally. And when I, I was looking these films up when we were ordering it, and there's not a ton of info. So he's pretty niche, a niche name for, for silent films. Uh, and then the Tony Curtis and Cary Grant sets are not like the big films you would expect from either of these people uh especially the Cary grant one it's three lesser known titles uh ladies should listen which is a you know hilariously out of touch title uh wedding present and big brown eyes ones that i've never don't really know I much mean, about big brown eyes is about somebody who does colonoscopies i can't say that word right oh really no <laughs> <laughs> Imagine. You had me going there. I was like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> oh, these big out. brown eyes. It was staring me I right would... in the eyes. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Uh, Tony Curtis collection. I was looking at. There's some interesting directors who worked on the film. Like I said, Blake Edwards did one. Uh, there's another famous director, but I c- it can't come to mind right now. How are these priced? Are they expensive or are they cheap? Like the Audrey. Uh, they're Forty to forty-five bucks. Uh, so they're so on the higher side than the other ones. They're that came on out. the higher side. Oh yeah, with the Tony Curtis one, you're at forty pounds of trouble. Is an early Norman Jewison film. I forgot. Yes, that's right. Yeah, Norman Jewison. That's who I was thinking of. Yeah. Uh, and we also have the bunch of Bob Hope films, Cat in the Canary and the Ghostbreakers. Probably two of his uh, better-known ones. If you're not talking about the ones like his road films. Yeah, these have been popular. We, these were flying off the shelves. People shelf have told me day. that if I want to see funny Bob Hope, there's the ones that I should check out. But what's been keeping me away from them is how big a piece of shit he is. <laughs> yeah, I never really got down with Bob Hope. <laughs> but if I was going to watch them, I think probably the Ghostbreakers, Captain Canary, Canary is the one I'd probably check out. Yeah, they look like a lot uh, of fun. We also have the Gray Fox, which I was making fun of when I visited because it's a Canadian classic. You were. Shown in high schools everywhere. Shame on you. Shame and, uh, on Mark you. And Mark was like, oh, no, I watched it recently this is actually good yeah this is actually art here okay um so yeah the gray fox has been a a long unavailable canadian film that we've been asked about for basically ever since i started working at the store um so it was made in the early 80s with richard farnsworth it's a true story based on um a legendary outlaw who I'm totally blanking on what the his Gray name Fox. is right now. <laughs> yeah, the Gray Fox was his name, but he was called the, uh, his nickname was also the Gentleman Bandit because he would hold up stagecoaches, but he was like really gentlemanly about it. And it's play, he's played by Richard Farnsworth, who is like perfect casting for this role. So this was a huge hit at the time, won like a ton of genies and was just, yeah, one of the biggest Canadian films at that time. It got a big American release through American Zotrope. So Francis Ford Coppola was like big into this. And it was directed by Philip Borsos, who was a Canadian director who kind of his career never really took off. He made some American films after the mean season, I believe, with Kurt Russell. Uh, Oh, One Magic Christmas he made. And um, he made the big Canadian flop, Bethune, The Making of a Hero. Uh, Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. It was a huge flop at the time. It basically like killed his career. And then he died soon after. He died in like the early 90s or early 
maybe mid 90s. Um, but this film um, is really excellent. It's really beautiful. And I'm not even like a Western guy. You know, I'm not you even hate into Westerns. Western. I hate Westerns. And this is a Western. And it, it definitely has like a really classical kind of style to it. But it was a lot less stodgy than I would thought. It was really that I thought it was really beautiful. Um, and it's mainly sold on the performance of Richard Farnsworth, who is just excellent in this movie. I mean, if you only know him from like the straight story or like misery or like the handful of movies definitely check this out this is like his like signature performance i would say and even because he was obviously a stuntman for years and years before becoming an actor he does a lot of like horse riding there's a lot of like horse riding stunts there's a really thrilling sequence where like a train is he's trying to get it to a train and like free these horses and they're like on this track on the side of a hill and he needs to like get all these horses off it's a really thrilling action sequence and he does all of his own riding so it's a really excellent movie, and it, I'm glad that Kino finally, somebody finally put this out on Special Blu-ray. edition, too. This commentary with Alex Cox, yeah. the filmmaker Repo Man. He does Western commentaries, course, uh, pretty yeah. much. And a bunch of interviews as well. Yeah, so definitely highly recommended, especially if you want to check out some good, you know, older Canadian So we films. also got... Are these Paramount Presents titles, Roman Holiday and Barefoot in the Park? Uh, no, just so Par- uh, Roman Holiday is the only Paramount Presents title out of this. And that's a big deal, obviously, because Roman Holiday has never been on Blu-ray before. This is the first time. Um, it is a little cheaper than the, we usually get the Paramount Presents titles for because it actually has a domestic release. Um, so there's that. But yeah, it's basically fully remastered in 4K. So big deal because you know it's one of those like massive classic films that's just never been so on we also before. have barefoot in the park oh i thought this would have been a big special edition too no so these these upcoming paramount ones are just those bare bones 1295 ones just like vampire in brooklyn so i don't know what paramount's been doing but they just went to their back catalog and chose a handful of movies that had never that had never been on Blu-ray. okay yeah so we can we can zoom through these because we got the sons of katie elder yep. a henry hathaway film henry hathaway a western director who never yeah. gets talked about anymore it's weird uh we got uncommon valor uh a ted kotchiff yep. canada's own a movie starring gene hackman which you look at the cover and the title and you're like wait is it this it's movie so or is it a different one <laughs> <laughs> wait is it the walter hill one that stars powers booth which one is that extreme prejudice uh we got the two jakes a sequel to chinatown directed by jack nicholson it's bad which uh, has been, you know what it might be bad but it has been insanely popular out of all these paramount titles we sold we i brought 10 copies in they sold first day flat like it's crazy people it's like people just see Jack Nicholson's face and like, I'm going to get uh, it. I think that my review when I watched it was, what if Jack Nicholson went, okay, let's redo Chinatown. But instead of my character being wrong all the time, like he was in the original classic, what if he was awesome and got everything right? And that's the plot of the movie. Yeah, he directed this one, right? So it's all just kind of like a vanity project for him. The only thing I like about it is that originally... Um, the producer, what's his name? Kid Stays in the Picture. Oh, uh, Robert Evans. Was supposed to co-star in the movie, and he got, like, horrifying plastic surgery. Oh, yeah. That was so yeah. bad that, like, they couldn't eat, like, Jack Nicholson was like, you can't be in this movie. You look like a monster. <laughs> Sorry, man. Yeah. Uh, we also got Private Parts, the Howard Stern classic. 
I remember this poster like everywhere when I was growing up and I never saw this film. I don't know. But even like Howard Stern was like a mainstream hero at that time. This is his like autobiography. It's not even like like a movie that stars him. It's about Howard Stern. Like even my parents watched this and they never listened to Howard Stern or anything. This was just like a huge mainstream movie at the time. Shock Jock, the guy that looks like Weird Al, but is not Weird Al. Don't get confused, kids. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's still around. People still listen to him. He still is. Yeah, people love him. I mean, mostly, you know, older people love him. We also have (laughs) Timeline, the um, Richard Donner, Michael Crichton movie. Yeah, the the movie that killed Michael Crichton adaptations because it was so bad. And Michael Michael Crichton, yeah, the story behind this goes, Michael Crichton sold the film rights to this for super cheap because he signed a lucrative back-end deal so that he would get, like, a huge part of the film's profits. What, did he get burned on uh, Jurassic Park? Yeah, I don't know. Well, he was friends with Steven Spielberg, so I feel like no. He needed more money to prove that climate change isn't real. I know, right? (laughs) But then it was so bad. This was such a turkey when it came out that he vowed to never license another one of his movies again. And he actually, or one of his books again. And he never did until actually right before his death, Steven Spielberg, because he was friends with Steven Spielberg. Uh, licensed Pirate Latitudes, one of his like later books, which has still never been I made. Mean, so he did. The thing is, like, I get he didn't really write any books that people were no, jumping the gun to adapt. So. I mean, I was a huge Michael Crichton fan as a kid for some reason. Like, I'd see saw Jurassic Park, and then I read like almost all oh, me of too. his books. Everybody read yeah, all those. Books I didn't read. When they I came never out. read Timeline, um, although it was around. My parents had it. Um, I actually just, and I never saw this movie until this week and I just threw it on. It was like the only Michael Crichton adaptation I hadn't seen for some reason. But you're a Paul Walker completist. How have you not seen this movie? And it's terrible. I mean, Paul Walker is hilarious in this because he's basically just like Paul Walker from Fast and Furious. Who's going on? Yeah, right. Because it's about a group of archaeologists who go, it's a very like Sound of Thunder type plot in terms of like archaeologists going back but they to the get past. like trapped in the past right they get trapped and it's in the like... past. And the, yeah the hilarious thing is they change so many things but it doesn't really mess up the current timeline like it should right like when you change things in the past it should alterly drastically alter things in the future or in the present but they don't go down that road at all uh but your your boy jerry butler is in this is he uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he stars in it. He gets killed pretty earlier on, doesn't no, he? No, he survives all oh, the I way. I thought he did get killed. And you, know, you know what? Spoiler alert for anybody who doesn't want to, you know, <laughs> get timeline time spoiled. But he decides at the end he wants to stay in the in the medieval time because he like really loves. He falls in love with somebody then, and then they go back to the present and they find like a history historical record of him. Oh, is there like a picture of him that's him? painted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like a scroll. So good. He, he like married this lady and he lived a happy life or whatever. It's oh, like, it'd be great oh, if they man. came back and it was like a dystopia ruled by Jerry Butler robots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, this movie's terrible. It's directed by Richard Donner, who clearly has no idea what he's doing. Oh with this. man, near um, the end of his career, he was like uh, forty-six, forty-seven blocks or whatever. Fourteen six, blocks. 16, Sixteen blocks, 16 blocks, actually. Yeah. yeah, that was the last film he made. Finally, you know most I mean, deaf on the big screen, just like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, but yeah, timeline. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of fun in a bad way because you just have all these like modern day people like dressed up like they're ready for the Renaissance Fair and everything. It's it was like a really whole cheap, wave of yeah. that, like Black Knight, the Martin Lawrence movie as well. Um, I would say the funniest thing about timeline though is the actual scenes where they time travel. They get inside this like apparatus thing, and they're and, like. And oh! there's, like 
it's like yeah it's like they didn't have any money i was expecting some special effects or something but no they just somebody just pointed like a wind turbine at them and they're just like oh, as they're getting their faces blown Wait, who could forget i think the time machine the um yeah the guy pierce movie came out around this time too it did it did which i kind of liked at the time but Wait, everybody had time seen. travel fever uh, fever i know i know all right out on a limb 1992 what's this i forgot to put some notes <laughs> yeah so this is moving on to universal catalog wait, stuff. Wait, we gotta now move fast because i want to talk <laughs> about the next one and right, i want right, to talk right, about right, it okay. in detail so yeah now that we've gotten through the paramount ones we've got some universal classics here so out on a limb is a 90s matthew broderick comedy that's i don't know nobody i think he made this around the time he killed that person and hey. I <laughs> yeah i don't know uh looks terrible but Let's get to the next Now, one. people are like, Ed TV, the classic <laughs> Woody Harrelson, Ron Howard film. You have to go. No, 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 no. This oh. is Ed. This is the one about a football playing chimpanzee. And then people are like, oh, I love the Air Bud. No, 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 no. Imagine if the Air Bud dog was a man in a horrifying costume. <laughs> That's what Ed is. Yeah. It's baseball, Oh, yeah, baseball, not, not football. Because <laughs> he can throw really baseball. well. Yeah. I, I just... <laughs> Exactly. I have to say, though, I love that you assume people would think that EdTV is coming out on Blu-ray or something. <laughs> They're very excited about it. It had know. a big DVD special edition you could find I in know. every bargain bin. I remember. Bin. I remember. Uh, but yeah, Ed, I mean, I loved this movie as a kid. Uh, Did you kid. watch it recently again? I have not watched it recently. Because the thing is, we don't have a rental copy at Bay Street Video or anything. Because, I don't know, a lot of these 90s family films got dropped through the cracks once we made the transition it's from VHS to DVD. so horrifying. Like, the outfit they have a poor little person wear. I know. I do remember. Oh, we didn't say. It stars Matt LeBlanc in one of his rare starring roles. I mean, it's got the iconic poster of like, I think he's high-fiving Ed or something on the cover. <laughs> oh uh, man, I need that in my room. So I mean, this was like a, cla- you know, a very important entry in the, I guess in the animal kids sports movie canon in you the 90s. You guys have posters at Bay Street Video. Have you ever considered like getting classics and putting them back there? Like Ed. Oh, I would love to. Well, I, on that note, uh, my a friend of mine just moved and had a couple of posters he needed to get rid of. So he dropped off vintage 90s posters of Mars Attacks, which is really cool. Like with all the brains and a video store poster of Kingpin. <laughs> <laughs> Those are fun, but those are mostly like we had them in the back room and we forgot about them and now we're putting them up. I would kill for an Ed poster, though. What if you had like Ed and you had like Dunce and Checks in, just had (laughs) monkey posters in the back? Monkeys and animal playing sports. So both extreme primate, uh, spy mate, the one where the chimpanzee with Emma Roberts. Yep. Yep. Always. That's a classic. You Um, would people would mention it every time they came to the counter. They'd be like, huh? Hey, I mean, I love monkeys, so I I'm all for it, man. If you can, if you can, if anybody out there can hook us up with some monkey '90s monkey movie posters, Mighty Joe Young, (laughs) all the classics, Congo, George of the Jungle. I mean, going back to Michael Crichton adaptations, yeah, definitely Congo. Yeah, yeah, all monkey gorilla based movies. Uh, we also have Flying Leathernecks, a Nicholas Ray movie. Never yeah, seen onto it. Yeah, some serious stuff here. Yeah, moving from Ed to Flying Leathernecks here. <laughs> and the Leathernecks are all monkeys, right? <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> now, uh, I'm sure people are excited this is coming out on uh, Blu-ray from Warner Archive. Yeah, I don't know. I mean... <laughs> 
<laughs> these movies, they all just kind of look the same to me. These like 40s. We also movies. have a different story. Another movie being put out by Scorpion. A gay man and a lesbian enter into a marriage of convenience in order to prevent his deportation. Wait. No, I know. This is a very 70s concept for a movie here, but yeah. Ooh, this sounds, uh, I feel problematic. Yeah, I would say so. Like chasing amy Yeah, so I don't know. I, again, never really heard of this film. We did have one person pre-order it, which was kind of surprising to me. So, I mean, I guess there are fans of this. I don't know, but I don't know if it's progressive at all or if it's just like really tone, like tonally tone we also have freedom road being put out by our favorite liberation hall the weirdo distributor and this is the uh muhammad ali in a rare acting role plays gideon jackson an ex-slave in 1870s virginia who gets elected to the u.s senate and battles other former slaves and white sharecroppers to keep the land they tended all their lives yeah sounds like a uh a classic right here. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it'd be great if he was like cracking heads and stuff like that. Like it was a black yeah, movie. I, I don't think uh, that's what I don't this think is. So. Well, this was a TV movie. This was actually a three hour TV movie oh, or something, no. but it was, it was also released theatrically, I guess in Europe, maybe as a shorter version. And I think liberation hall is they only have a runtime of an hour and a half. So I think they've only put like the theatrical <laughs> version of this. So I don't even know if you're getting like the entire Freedom Road experience. I mean, here. isn't there another movie called Freedom Road that came out like a little while ago? Uh there must be right it sounds it sounds like there's yeah i'm confusing road. it with I mean, machine gun preacher the uh, jerry butler yeah. one yeah, where you know preacher. he's an ex-con yeah. with a heart of gold it's heart of gold yeah it was a tiff yeah right? i mean <laughs> definitely uh we also have the tv set this was a jake kasdan movie before he sold out and made jumanji films have you seen this one i like this one yeah I remember liking it at the time. I saw it when it came out because I was like huge X-Files fan. So I would watch anything David Duchovny was in basically. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I remember enjoying it. Like I thought it was a kind of like buzzy, insidery TV studio Yeah, thing. it's very innocuous because it's about the process of what goes behind and getting a TV pilot made. That's it. Yeah. I think it ends with like the premiere of the TV pilot. And then so, watching yeah. a trailer for it where they like, all I remember is they like added a fart. <laughs> like a shot <laughs> yeah yeah you're right and i think about that every time i see like really shitty editing in trailers but you know what you're right I'm, I'm a big fan of jake kasdan's earlier stuff like i loved zero effect and orange county was always a favorite of mine growing up so i mean this was also a judd apatow project before oh, he became okay. or i think he came after 40 year old yeah, virgin yeah but so he was very heavily involved okay. with yeah this. And it's, so it's an interesting title that sh it's part of shout selects lines so i mean nobody's touched this one so far so i don't know if i don't know if anybody really this was another one this was a bargain bin classic that you would always see it in the bargain bin for like yeah, two dollars right i think we actually had a dvd copy in the bargain bin for a while so we also have a bunch of uhd disney releases yeah it's the uhd round got home here. alone all right yeah woof <laughs> Do a yeah, buzz double bill. Right. Get little uh, monsters with it. <laughs> yeah, little monsters. Uh, it's Halloween, so another goddamn release of Hocus Pocus. Ah, God. They can't stop with Hocus Pocus. They just released, like, a whatever anniversary it was, like, a couple of years ago. And then we this. also got 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street, movies I love, and I'm sure Mark is, meh, because they're too popular. Right, Mark? I... I don't know. I love 21 Jump Street. Wasn't crazy about 22 oh, Jump Street, I love though. 22 Jump Street because it's like the bad boys, too, of the 21, uh, the Jump Street universe. I felt like it got a little too obnoxiously self-aware for me in the second oh, one. But I mean, the directors would say, if you hate the self-aware version that was released to theaters, you would have hated their original version oh, really? where they would yeah. not stop talking about it, according to them. 
Yeah, I don't know. 21 Jump Street, I thought was hilarious. It was actually one of my favorite comedies that year. I was really into it. And then I was super jazzed to see 22 Jump Street. And maybe I just had too high expectations, but oh, I came I away a little it underwhelmed. It looks like Bad Boys 2 as yeah, well. It definitely like, had its It moments. knows what kind of sequel oh, it yeah. is. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely, it wasn't like something I hated. It just, uh, I don't know. I like the first one better. Uh, so moving on, we got some TV and the new stuff. We got Succession Season 2, a show I've never watched. No, people love this show, though. I mean, I guess it just they won a bunch it. of Emmys. Everybody right? loves it. And you Everybody know what I understand? This. But I hate things about rich people. Uh, I know. And that's where I Even if too. they're like, you're supposed to like enjoy their misery. I can't do it. I can't do it. Because at the end of the day, you're just watching a bunch of like wealthy white people do their wealthy white people stuff. And it's like, I don't know. That just doesn't appeal to me. I'm sure it's very well done. I like the cast a lot. But, like, it just seems like it's all anybody's talking about. It's for, like, there's a lot of TV shows out there, people. Yeah, they love this show. Uh, they do. I think it's, it's like, it's run by, like, an Onion AV Club writer. Like, that's what he used Is to do. Really? Yeah, That I did not know. So we also got Killing Eve Season 3. They're already in Season 3 of the show? Yeah, man. It seems like just yesterday this show first came, people uh, came on the scene. People love this show. Yeah. Speaking of shows people love. Never, I didn't watch it. Yeah, no, me neither. But I think people loved the first season and have been a little bit more lukewarm on this uh, season two Isn't this the one that was run by Fleabag herself? I think so. I think you're right, yeah. And speaking of shows people love, Outlander season five. <laughs> Wait, is this people Outlander season this. five part two of thirds? No, that's this how is just been putting them out, season right? five. Just the first season they put out like that. And then they go, they wisened up and were like, why are we doing this? <laughs> um, but yeah, older people love this show. My mom loves this, this show. This is definitely like a mom show. It's like a romantic kind of time travel show. It is. Um, Apparently it's pretty uh, sexy though, too. Ooh. It's pretty risque. Yeah. So we also have Proud. Uh, this is a 2018 film. Uh, which is French, and it retraces the fight for the rights of sexual minorities in France. Yeah, supposed to be really good. It was actually a French miniseries, I believe. Uh, like, I think it played on French TV. It's like a four-hour miniseries. Um, and then Kino put it out in, like, virtual cinemas and stuff earlier this year. I've been hearing really great things. We also got uh, Becky, which is one that I actually watched because anytime a comedian does something serious, I'm there. And this one has Kevin James playing a neo-Nazi. <laughs> I was definitely intrigued by that, although I haven't gotten around to checking this out yet. Uh, it's not as good as you want it to yeah, be. Yeah, and that's what I yeah. heard. You know, it was jazz, and then I just heard kind of lukewarm. Because it's like Home it. Alone, but it's like a young girl, and she has to fight Kevin James. I don't know. It just doesn't quite work. Like, all the pieces are there, but the script isn't. Right. And, then, like, the payoffs, yeah, it just doesn't quite work. It's it's kind of a bummer. All right, you've definitely seen this one. Tommaso, the oh, new Abel yeah. Ferrara movie. You better mm -hmm. believe I saw this one. I like this a lot. I mean, I'm an Abel Ferrara head for sure. I've always loved him. And I, I love his collaborations with Willem Dafoe. Um, I mean, who doesn't love Willem Dafoe, right? And this is definitely the most, I would say probably the most autobiographical movie Abel Ferrara has ever done. Willem Dafoe basically just plays a version whoa, whoa, of him. Whoa, 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 what about the one about Madonna and Harvey oh, Keitel that's and true. making a movie? Dangerous Game, yeah, no, you're right. So probably the most autobiographical since Dangerous Game. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so yeah, Willem Dafoe basically just plays an Abel Ferrara stand-in who's living in Italy and trying to get his new movie off the ground, some like big budget sort of like sci-fi thing, which is kind of weird. And But it's basically just a about him and his much younger wife and their new daughter and that kind of relationship and just him kind of like wandering around Italy and he's also he goes to AA meetings because he used to be a drug addict which I believe Abel Ferrara has been open about and yeah I don't know it's really if you like Abel Ferrara or Willem Dafoe you're gonna love this 
I, I thought it was great. I just love his style. It's so raw and immediate. And I feel like he's still making some int- like really interesting work. Even I at this don't stage know how career. Abel Ferreira is still functioning as a human being know, over right? all these years and still making good movies, too. Yeah. And it's still like he's so prolific like this. He's made like he's got another Willem Dafoe movie called Siberia, which played at, I think, Venice earlier this year. I which feel is like William out. Dafoe is like the muse that he yeah. needed to make all these movies. Yeah. So. And then he's got like two more documentaries coming out soon. I think one just played at that. Yeah. Siberia played earlier at Berlin and he's got one that's playing at Venice. Like he's made like three or four movies over the last couple of years. What if he came out and he was like right wing and and crazy? Would that hurt? I know he's not. Well, you know, it's interesting because, yeah, I always wondered that. But he did do an interview recently when Tom. Tom was coming out and where they did ask him about I feel like I read it yeah you read that right I feel like any of these older directors they always bring that up now and they and and you're always kind of like ready to cringe and be like oh no don't don't disappoint me but I thought his response was pretty good like he was all for like they were talking about cancel culture right and he was like all for it sort of he was like he was like yeah people should you know face consequences you know like I get the feeling he talks about his daughters a lot yeah and I think that's kind of like revitalize his life just you know from looking at it afar yeah and i think that actually is a lot about what tomas is about because willem dafoe's character starts to like think about life differently now that he's got like a, a young like infant daughter it starts to like make him think differently and yeah i feel like abel ferrara out of a lot of those like 70s 80s american directors is maybe one of the mo- more progressive which is kind of shocking to think at this point we also got uh weathering with you a new anime from j kids g kids shout and uh, this one's directed by Makato Shinke, who's famous for Your Name, which was huge when it came out. Huge. Uh, this one's slightly less huge. Yeah, but, this uh, is a yeah. weather-based romance. There are so <laughs> yeah. many Your Name-style ripoffs that oh, have come man, out. I know, that Even I know. when the director like makes another one, it's like, oh, okay, I guess. And it's weird because Your Name was insanely popular for us, obviously, when it came out. But this one, not so much. I thought it would be flying off the shelves a little bit more. But, you know, Shout's gone the full distance. There's like a Steelbook Blu-ray and a regular Blu-ray. They've done all these releases, but it's not really moving like I thought it would. So we also have Hip Hop, The Songs That Trick America from AMC, documentary series. Sounds good. Yeah, uh, Alex Gibney is a producer behind this who is like, you know, king of documentaries these days. Uh, Urs, a.k.a. Erd from 2019. I do not know what this is. Kim So yeah, this is a the new film from Nicholas Gerhalter, who is a German director, I believe, who's uh, t- pretty, he was known for doing really sort of like arty experimental documentaries. His most famous one was called uh, Our Daily Bread from about 15 years ago. You remember that one? It was kind of a big deal on the art house scene where it's like a you know, a portrait of like um, the the food industry, like how uh, basically that I don't know. I've never seen it, but I know he's like a big deal on the art house documentary scene. So this is another very like highly experiential documentary just about different. Um, I think he just films in like different places all over the earth, different basically mines and extracting sites. I'm shocked that you haven't seen this, Mark. Know, What's going I on? To, I know. I, I failed myself by not seeing this. But yeah, so that's what it is. He basically takes his camera to a bunch of different like mines and extraction sites throughout the the world and talks to and just kind of like films them and talks to the people who work at these places as they're basically like digging up the earth, destroying the earth to some degree. So yeah, definitely arty stuff. Um, but I, there's like 
Nicholas Gerhalter's kind of like a household name on the art house documentary. We also have Vitalina Varela, a Pedro Costa movie. A Cape Verdean woman navigates her way through Lisbon following the scanty physical traces her deceased husband left behind and discovering his secret illicit life yeah i gotta get into pedro costa though yeah like, me too he, his stuff sounds really fascinating to me he always uses like real people i mean this in, is like, definitely Mark stories Bain. yeah no i've always wanted to see his stuff but i you know he's been making movies since i guess the 80s and 90s like colossal youth was a big one and everything uh criterion put out like a good three disc set of his earlier films um and i've just kind of wanted to start there but um you know he just, it's that kind of vibe I love. Yeah, that listen, you got erotic thrillers to watch. You don't thing. got time I know, to watch. You know, I don't have time to watch three hour, you know, documentary realist kind of movies. Uh, so we also have Rewind, uh, a 2019 film. Digging I did through see the, this one. Digging through the vast collection of his father's home videos, a young man reconstructs the unthinkable story of his boyhood and exposes vile abuses passed through generations. Yeah, this is a this is a bleak one. This is definitely you know if you've seen capturing the Freedmans, things like that. That's that's kind of like that. It's basically it's made by the guy who was abused as a child. So basically, he was abused by his like uncles as a child, horribly sexually abused, as well as his sister. And now as an adult, he's basically he goes back over all the video camera footage that they just took at family gatherings, and it's spooky, right? Because you're seeing all these family gatherings where everybody it just looks like any normal family gathering gathering but then you find out more about how much these guys were predators and everything and then how far it goes back because you know his uncles were also abused by their father and everything it's just like a really disturbing portrait of abuse but really well well done. uh that sounds like something i will not be checking out but <laughs> yeah uh people there's definitely an audience for that and on that note let's move on to a bunch of horror films yeah right <laughs> did you watch any of these uh, I did not. No, I'm just looking at them now. Like, what are these even again? Yeah, we can blaze through these. We got The Shed, which, oh my God. Where's the gong? I... Gong. You can't call your movie The Shed. There's a yeah. million movies called The Shed. I feel like people kind of like this. I thought I heard some good things about this. And uh, yeah, I guess this was a Shudder title. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's a oh, Shudder Murderous title. Creature. I like that. That sounds like fun. Uh, also, those who deserve to die. A troubled veteran returns home to resume his life, but first he must fulfill a, de a dreadful family obligation. Do people like this one? I feel like they do as well. It's like, I think it's from a, like a more experimental horror filmmaker. Uh, I know, I think his name's Brett Wood. And it, this, so this is, I believe, like a Southern Gothic type horror movie, if I believe correctly. But I'm just looking him up now. He made a film, like a kind of an experimental horror film before. Yeah, Psychopathia Sexualis. Have you heard of that from 2006? And I know we have that at the store. It's kind of like an experimental erotic horror movie that this guy made. He's made a few things since then, but I haven't heard of them. But I think he really works on the fringe. We also have Hanukkah, a uh, Jewish slasher. I like that. Yeah, Sid Haig's in this one, I think. I think this is like yeah. one of, one of Sid many. Sid passed away like two years ago. I know. I think it's one of his many, you know, posthumous performances. Uh, and yeah. Skinwalker, which I assume is going to be about a Wendigo or werewolf of some kind. Uh, I don't know. But I do know that Udo Kier stars in this one. So, Again, from I beyond mean, the grave. From beyond the grave. No, Udo Kier's not dead. I thought Udo about? Kier was dead. 
Is he not? No, man. You know Kieran? You kidding me? Well, he's alive and well. Oh, uh, maybe uh, Rooker <laughs> Hauer. That's who I was confusing him. Two yeah, completely different is. people. Oh, man. Yeah, if Udo Kier died, oh, man, that would really hurt my Did soul. Did you watch Luz, The Flower no, of Evil? No, sounds interesting, though. Uh, this one is a... Uh, 70 Minutes, shot on 16 millimeter, anamorphic. Mm, yeah. No, no, that's the other Luz, I think. That's the oh, other Luz. It? We've talked about that Luz before, because that came out earlier from um altered innocence I there's two movies called laws yeah the one you're thinking of is like the german film which was probably a bigger hit yes uh, this one's called Luz, The Flower of Evil, which is a Colombian film, which is like a... F- That's why I thought it was German. Yeah, no, it's like a fantasy horror western. It's been getting a lot of great reviews at festivals. I I think it's a little more art house even than horror, but uh, I haven't seen well, it myself. Well, I'll have to check it out. I do like art house horror western stuff. Who doesn't? Yeah. And then finally, we have Jesus Shows You the Way to the Highway. Now, this is an interesting one that Arrow's putting out because it's a new movie. It is, yeah. And they, you know, they seem to be getting into new movies a little bit more lately because they've got a few lined up um, oh yeah they released the dead center that starred bad man uh guy who directed primer bad man shane caruth yeah <laughs> uh they've got the deeper you dig coming out soon which is a newer horror movie um this one is fantastic though so would... is it good because i was holding it in my hands and i was about to buy it it has a crazy special edition and i went But is it just crazy for the sake of being crazy? Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how you'll feel about it because it is it is crazy. It's I know, but that seems like the kind of movies that I would like. But there's a kind of craziness like Tokyo Gore Police ish that that's kind of boring to me. Yeah, I'm not sure. This one really worked for me, though. Um, So basically what it's like an action comedy sci fi extravaganza that was filmed in four different countries i believe five different countries it was filmed in spain estonia ethiopia latvia and romania although it is in english so um it's not like yeah it's not subtitled or anything but it's from director uh, miguel lanzo who is a spanish director and he made a film uh maybe five or six years ago called crumbs it's on this it's on this disc set crumbs is a little it's like a post-apocalyptic road movie that was all set in ethiopia and it kind of has like a Vim Vendors-esque kind of feel. Um, I wasn't, I thought it was okay. It wasn't like totally crazy about that one, but I got this one to review back when it was streaming earlier this year. And I don't know, I just had a lot of fun with it. It, say, it stars the same guy who was in Crumbs, uh, Daniel Tedes, who is a really funny, um, just like interesting performer. And he is just like a secret agent spy who goes inside this virtual reality program to infiltrate the Russians, but then he gets stuck there. So it's like a mix of like those kind of sci-fi tropes with like Bond movie spy tropes. There's a lot of camp to it. And then there's just a lot of like offbeat humor. I don't know. It's like really one of those indescribable movies. You just kind of like have to watch it. But I don't know. I, I feel I feel you, though. There's a lot of these kind of movies that are just like crazy for the sake of being crazy and they just don't do anything for me. But I don't know. This one had more heart behind it for me. So I'll give it. It does. OK, that's important to me. Yeah. And it is, like you said, a loaded special. If edition. I had to take a guess, I would say you would have hated this movie just by watching the trailer and reading the description and you saying that you liked it is either some weird, like, you know, <laughs> like, outliner that I'll watch the movie, I'll be like, what did Mark like in this? <laughs> I don't know, because I feel like there's a 50-50 chance. Yeah, you could either come back and be like, I don't know what you liked about this. Or... You know what stopped me? Is I was looking up the director's name, and he had a letterbox page. I was like, oh, okay. And then, like, he rated only a few movies, and one of them was, like, Rise of the Machine Girl. 
and he's like, more is more. This is the best. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> like, well, that's strange. Yeah. I, I don't know anything about him or anything, but yeah, I don't know. It's Well, you're on the hot seat now. I'm going to spend my hard-earned dollars on this. Honestly. Well, the thing is, look, I, I'm so sick of like modern day blockbusters and everything. They all just are such look like such crap to me that like when a movie like this. And yeah, obviously, this isn't the same kind of a movie experience that you're going to get from like a Marvel movie or something. But it just like to me. Something like this. Well, Grandpa, what are you doing comparing this movie to just blockbusters in general? To me, this is like a more imaginative kind of blockbuster than anything that like Hollywood puts out. And for that, I give it like major. All right. Fun. Well, I will definitely check it out. And that's everything that we have for the Bay Street Video Podcast this week. Any updates? Same old, Same right? old. I mean, cases are, you know, put on the rise again, sort of, of coronavirus. So buy your Blu-rays now before everything shuts down again. I mean, I doubt things are going to shut down again because the government doesn't want to assist people. But, uh, you know, we are probably maybe going to take down the amount of people we let into the store at one time just because, you know, we're up to eight now. We might bring it back to five. I don't know. We're playing it day by day. Uh, but, yeah, we're still open. Uh, we're open every day. We're open Sundays again. 10 to 8 so come on by we're still getting a lot of a lot of product in just please be safe wear a mask uh use our hand sanitizer that's all all we right ask. so until next week my name is justin clue and i'm mark Hansen. keep on buying and keep on renting Ow! Ooh, it's almost yeah, october yeah i know i can't wait these movies and many more are available at your local video store